With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This week's episode is brought to you by FOCO USA. FOCO is the official face covering of the Iowa Hawkeyes. And if you've been watching Iowa football at all this year, you've seen the new Hawkeye face coverings and neck gaiters that the players and coaches have been wearing. And FOCO was even nice enough to send some out to myself and Thad. And they look great. And they're definitely the most high-quality face mask that I've had since this whole thing started. And if you wanted to grab one for yourself, feel free to head over to FOCO.com and even tell them that the All Eyes crew sent you. What's up, all of you beautiful people, and welcome back to the All Eyes Podcast. And, you know, we said it last week, the week before, and the week before that, and I think the week before that, too. But we're glad to be back talking about another double-digit Iowa win. But, you know, this one felt a little different, and things happened that we really hadn't seen from the Hawks in 2020. With that said, I think that it also is an appropriate time to address some of the news that came out of the um, Iowa football program this past week, and that is Julius Brents is transferring out of the program, or at least entering the portal. Not necessarily transferring out from what I understand, but his name is in the portal, which doesn't bode well for him, you know, continuing his playing career at Iowa. And that's kind of surprising news. I mean, he's a guy that has had a bit of playing time this year and has been a starter at times. And so I guess, Thad, you know, what are some of your summarized thoughts on just um, the Brent's transfer news. The timing was interesting, you know, middle of a, a season like that. And, and Kirk Ferentz mentioned it uh, in the Colin show that it was just a unique time that uh, Brent's had came, come and talked to him, told him to sleep on it and uh, was ready to enter the portal. So it's interesting. It, it coincides with a little bit ago when uh, coach Ferentz mentioned how Terry Roberts was, a guy who's going to see the field, you know, as a potential starter down the road, you know, so is it a thing where he was passing him? I don't know. Uh, Brent's the first game played a ton of snaps against Purdue. Iowa was in nickel for a large portion of that game. And he's really watched his snap count decrease over time where he's been pretty much just relegated to a special teams player. And all that said, he's still a, a young player. We saw him obviously thrust into the starting lineup due to injuries as a true freshman, but he's a redshirt sophomore. You know, he, he's a guy that projects to be a future starter. So it's just interesting to see um, somebody just say, all right, you know, maybe I want to look elsewhere, but we're also in a time where, I mean, the transfer transfer portal portal is on fire right now. I think in the last week there were, you know, close to a hundred people, maybe it just, I keep reading reports, so-and-so's entered the transfer portal, this player, that player. So I think we're in a time right now where players are just searching for anything. Yeah, and what I, what I really thought about, and you already kind of said it, but Terry, the Terry Roberts news and Kirk really 
you know, hyping him up as a guy who should be getting more snaps because of how well he's played, not only on special teams, but in limited kind of snaps on defense. Um, I knew that was going to spell the end or spell some um, cloudy kind of future for one of the Iowa um, defensive backs for sure. I mean, you, you know, there's only a certain amount of spots. And what we've seen from Julius Brents when he has started for the defense is he's kind of thrust into that role as like the alley run defender um, and not really a guy who's playing a lot as sort of the roaming back end guy, which is weird because that's almost how I see his skill set um, optimally working out. You know, is he's kind of a lengthier guy. He has some pretty decent athleticism for how lengthy he is. But when he's been forced to make plays in the alley, I thought that's kind of where, you know, he got caught up with the ankle tackling and he missed some tackles and he wasn't taking on tight ends that well. And it's just kind of interesting how I, they never really found a way to make that work with him because I almost think that he's a kind of guy that slots better into the Jack Kerner role where he kind of roams around and yeah, he can come up and make some plays in, in the, in the box from time to time, but that shouldn't be, 70% of his, you know, his rep load, which it kind of felt like it was when he was getting more playing time. So, and, you know, on top of that, if he's transferring for whatever reason, I, I don't think like Iowa fans should be, you know, upset with him. Um, you know, you have a limited time in college and he's obviously a decent enough player. And if he's, you know, wanting to make a decision that's best for himself, I think, you know, there's no reason to get on him for that. And I, I wish him the best wherever he ends up. I mean, if you're a player in that situation, you want to play. And if it looks like next year is not, I don't want to say guaranteed because nothing's guaranteed, but it doesn't, if it doesn't look like a spot is kind of the table is set and you're ready, ready to take over, then yeah, go somewhere where you can play. Because as you said, you have a limited amount of time and those guys put in so much work and you know, the players that stick it out and don't play that much deserve so much credit because it is an endless amount of work that those guys put in to perform a very limited amount of games in their career. So if you're not going to play a lot, you know, I'm all for guys going to play or going to get the chance to play. And you mentioned uh, his struggles with tackling that first game. He really struggled making those intermediate tackles from that nickel position. And it's something that you would not expect for a corner of his size. I mean, physically, he's really imposing. 6'2", 205, he's well put together. And that's somebody that you would think would fit really well into that spot. And after that game with his struggles, Phil Parker immediately moved Dane Belton from strong safety to cash, where he would be more in that role of tackling meeting tight ends or uh, having to attack maybe a pulling lineman in the run game. And... And Brent all of a sudden was now just a backup corner and pretty much getting in and mop up duty. Yeah. It, and you said it, you know, when you look at six, two, two Oh five on, on a, a listed corner in quotations, you know, because obviously those kind of positions in the college level are kind of fluid at times, you know, it's not always that you're a corner, a corner, you can be a safety playing corner just because that's where they need you. But it really did feel like he was slotted out of position um, as far as just his role in the Iowa's defense. And I, I don't blame him. You know, he, he gave it his best shot. And he's, he's played now, what is it? He's, you said he's a redshirt sophomore? Yeah, I mean, that's enough time to plant yourself in a university and realize 
you know, whether or not that university is trending in the right direction for you and your best interest, I think. You know, you gave it three years. It's not like he's coming in as a four-star guy, didn't get immediate playing time because he got beat out by a veteran and then is deciding to hightail it out. He gave it his best shot. And, you know, I, I think, you know, he, he gave Iowa a, a good run, you know, for as far as just recruits go. Yeah, and he's going to find somewhere to land. Uh, I know that kind of came out where there were some reports, well, where are all these guys going to go? And somebody like him, he's going to find a spot because he's been coached and coached well. He's a talented player. He's going to find a landing zone, a landing spot. And I would not be surprised if it were in the Big Ten East somewhere. Yeah, almost like uh, a DJ Johnson <laughs> going to Purdue or something like that. Um, but, yeah, moving off that, you know, like I said in the intro, you know, this Iowa-Illinois game was a pretty interesting one for Iowa, and I feel like there's a lot to talk about. So, you know, Thad, what are a couple of things that kind of stood out to you or the, what are the main th- takeaways from this game? Well, I think the, the thing that had everybody talking was that, that fourth quarter stretch of plays where they just went wildcat over and over again to salt the game away. And, you know, you go into those football coaches will talk about that four minute drill to end a game. Iowa gets the ball kind of deep in their own territory after a fourth down stop. And there's about seven and a half minutes to go. And they come out with a couple of traditional plays, pick up a a third and three on a pass. And then from there, it's Tyler Goodson in the wildcat. And next thing you know, I was marching down the field and they score a touchdown and they've taken about five minutes of clock off. And that's for a team that's going to play close games frequently, the way Iowa runs their program to be able to try to go to something and to be able to salt those games away. The teams know you're going to run, you're trying to use clock, but that misdirection and it just creates enough indecision on defense and it gets the ball in a variety of players hands who can make plays all of a sudden, you've got Goodson carrying Sargent, Amir Smith-Marset, Tyrone Tracy about breaks a touchdown. So you have that variety, and Ivory Kelly-Martin's back there too, and those guys are all playing together, and the defense has to, has to try to be aggressive because you're trying to get stops, but at the same time, you have so many run gaps. Or all of a sudden, you can go left, you can go right, you can go up the middle. You've created so many extra gaps for the defense to to be concerned about. And next thing you know, I was down marching down the field and all of a sudden they're in the end zone. Yeah. And I, and I'll be honest, I, I'll say I was on the wrong side of this when Iowa busted out the wildcat. I believe it was the first game of the season against Purdue for the first time. I, I thought it was almost kind of gimmicky. It was almost like I was offensive line was so good that they just wanted to just show how dominant they were and just kind of, you know, get manufactured yardage just by barreling down on the defensive line in front of them. And then we saw it, you know, scattered around throughout the year as well. But what I've seen every single time they've ran it after that first game against Purdue, they've added subtle wrinkles to it. You know, they're, they're pulling guys at times. They're running the read option kind of thing. They've done it out of the pistol once. I mean, that's the kind of variety that I, I think makes it not a gimmick. You know, it, it almost elevates it to a, okay, this is an actual, you know, runnable offense. And I do think that there's still at times, um, I do think that Iowa could get caught running that and then just get shut out by, a, you know, a, a more instinctive or more athletic kind of defense. But 
as long as they're keeping, you know, keeping it fresh, adding some variety and not just running it, you know, down the a gap out of the gun or out of, you know, from Tyler Goodson's perspective, then I do think that it's a definitely a viable part of this Iowa offense. And that's insane to say <laughs> when you think about Iowa's history, just with that kind of thing. I haven't charted it, but I'm pretty sure that Iowa hasn't been stopped on a third down run to get a first down from it. And they've used it quite a bit on those third and two, third and three situations where in the past, the run game just hasn't worked. They've tried to go heavy formations and it hasn't worked well. And all of a sudden they've implemented this as a way to, to get an extra blocker, so to speak, and pick up those first downs. And it's been very instrumental in keeping drives alive. And the first time I was in the same boat, the first time we saw it, Iowa was backed up toward their own end zone in a situation where a lot of teams, especially Iowa in the past, has just gone quarterback sneak. Well, here's another safe way to get the ball and have a little higher upside than just maybe one or two yards on the sneak. And I thought, okay, that's kind of an interesting way to do it. And now it's been a highlight of, a, of short yardage formations. And then we saw a drive where – there was variety. There were, you know, goods in keeping, sweeps, a reverse, you know. So we're seeing a variety of different concepts out of it. And it's something that they've expanded as the year's gone, which means they trust it, they like it. You know, the first time they threw it out, I don't the first time or two, I don't even think Goodson had anybody beside him. Maybe I think Potabom was back there once or twice. And they've they've added wrinkles of two two running backs, they've added wrinkles of a receiver and a running back. So they're trying different things to keep it fresh, to keep it something extra for the defense to defend. And I think that's been really important and a boost that this offense from what their production has been in the past needed, because if it gets you one or two extra first downs and it sustains a drive for points, those extra three to seven points are the difference in so many games that Iowa is going to play. Yeah, I, 100%. And, you know, if it's, if it's working and you're adding in those different kind of personnel, um, just like those looks pre-snap, and you're adding in these subtle wrinkles and you're able to keep a defense off guard and you have the offensive line, you have the horses up front, I guess is the easy way to say it, to, you know, effectively run it with um, the safety nets pretty low or pretty high or whatever you want to call it. You know, the, the, low, the low upside, is not likely because of how good that offense is, our op- offensive line is. And at first, when they started running it, it kind of felt like almost they were running it because they wanted to take the ball out of Petrus's hands. At least that's kind of the interpretation based on how Petrus was, Petrus was playing. But, you know, in this game, I, I think this is probably the storyline number two. We saw some throws from Petrus that we haven't seen at all from him in his entire career so far as a Hawkeye. You know, we saw a few seam balls in the first half to Laporta and Deshaun Byer. And, you know, those are some throws that Petrus just hasn't been able to hit with consistency all year. And there were some touch throws. And also, this is what the, this sort of been the staple of the podcast. We always bring it up. And it's definitely worth noting, Petrus hit on some running back screens in this game, and he looked good doing it. And, I mean, they kind of, you know, changed up, I guess, the angles of these screens where they made them run a little bit more flat instead of getting vertical up the field. But it doesn't matter. Like, if you can add that wrinkle to your game and to your offense, it is so massive because Iowa keeps their running back in, backs in to pass protect a lot. And what happens is if a running back or linebackers are taught that, you know, this team doesn't run running back screens that effectively, 
they're going to be green dogging those running backs and they're going to shoot the second they see him, you know, set up in pass pro because they don't believe that Peters can even complete the screen, even if it's there. And if that can start hitting, I mean, teams are going to be in for a shock, especially because, you know, not even to mention when Tyler Goodson or Makai Sargent gets the ball in their hands, they're a next level kind of playmaker. So that, that element, if they can really cement that down and make it a consistent thing and something that they can hit on, man, this offense has kind of unlimited potential that exceeds where we even thought it would have been, you know, coming into the year. It was so nice to see those. I've mentioned it so often that they went to it early on plays that were open this year and they couldn't convert. And then twice, and it, it looked good. Petrus's footwork looked better. Uh, the light, everything was just more in sync. And that's uh, such a weapon for this offense, as you mentioned, with Sargent or Goodson out of the backfield. Those guys can make plays, and, and especially if they get into open space. And Iowa's linemen are athletic enough to go make those first and second blocks. But we saw, we saw screen plays. We saw uh, Petrus hit Potabom out of the backfield on a little shall, shallow cross. And it looked, hit him right on the numbers, let him get upfield for 20 yards. We saw him hit uh, – I saw him hit Brandon Smith on a play-action rollout where it, he didn't have to hit the underneath guy. He waited, let it clear, and he put touch on it but also got it between some defenders. And I think a similar thing happened where he hit Sean Byer on a, a similar play, um, a little out in those situations. We just saw passes that we knew he had the arm talent to make, but he hadn't been finding that right combination of um, timing – touch, power, all those things. And all of a sudden it clicked on a few. And after the start, he had uh, those first few passes that were in the dirt and he was pressured immediately. I mean, his, his first couple dropbacks, um, there was just pressure all over him. But all of a sudden, Iowa's offense found some rhythm and by far his best game in the way he managed it. You know, three touchdown passes, no interceptions, put the ball in the right spot. Um, so, and part of that, too, was the Iowa running game got going a little bit. Early on, it was pass on third and 13, pass on second and 12. When the run game wasn't there, all of a sudden he was forced to do something. And once the offense got going and could mix it up, and it was a pass or run situation, the offense was much more effective. And Petrus just didn't have as much stress on him. You know, when it is third and 13, you feel like you have to make the play. Or when it's second and 12, I've got to get some yards for my offense because I don't want to be in long yarded situations. So once that relief was off and I felt like once he hit that first touchdown, it was just such a sigh of relief for him. And you could just see like the weight lift off his shoulders and the freedom he started to play with. And it was great to see that progression. That's what we've been hoping for from this sophomore quarterback. We just, we wanted to see it. We wanted to see it. And finally we saw it. Um, and it helps to play Illinois because they've struggled to stop the pass. <laughs> yeah and honestly you said it though when when he came out and he was firing some you know inaccurate balls to start out out the gate I was thinking oh no Iowa fan this could be his last game of starting quarterback and I know Iowa fans were going to be heated on Twitter and talking all mad shit and whatnot but he he really figured it out you know from a placement perspective definitely easily the best game he's ever had and we saw touch I mean, a lot of these throws we're talking about aren't these 
you know, rope throws that are, are sneaking by a defender's hand. You know, the touchdown to Sean Byer that's put in between two players down the sideline, I mean, that's a throw that if Aaron Rodgers makes it, people are talking about it. Like, oh, crap, that's Aaron Rodgers. Like, what a, what a beast. But because it's Spencer Petras, like, everybody's thinking, oh, yeah, they're thinking, oh, it's probably put on a rope or, you know, we got lucky with it. That's a dime. And that's a throw that not a lot of guys can make. But we knew that Spencer Peters had the arm talent to do it. And that's never been the question. And I really thought this was going to – you know, we talked about last week. Illinois, the way they play defense is compared to a guy who – like like the way that Spencer Peters had been playing coming into this game, it was like Illinois' defense, the way they played it, was set up to make Peters fail or – at least show what Peters actually had. He's going to have to make throws in this game. We knew that. They play split safety, you know, deep almost every single snap. They almost never um, close off that middle half of the field or like the seam patterns. And so we knew that uh, Peters was going to have to make those throws and he nailed every single one of them. It felt like, you know, after that rough start. He got into a rhythm and all of a sudden it was just like, you know, down the seam here, out pattern here, a little dump off here. And they just had so much rhythm. And I had mentioned the the frequency against Illinois the past two years, there's a lot of throws out wide to the receivers. So the X receiver, um, two years ago, Brandon Smith, last year, uh, Tyron Tracy played in that spot. They had a lot of targets. And Amir's had a lot of targets against them. So you have to be able to attack them outside uh, where those corners are kind of cheating up maybe. And you have to attack him down the seam. And he was, you know, like you said, putting touch on some of them. Even those seam routes, you know, it wasn't just a, a seven-foot-high laser beam. You know, there was touch on him. It was landing in the right spot. And as you mentioned, the touchdown pass to Bayer, I mean, he, he dropped that in a bucket. I mean, you could not have put that ball in a better spot. And even there was a little, a little pressure in his face, and he, he stood there, um, delivered an on-target and on-time pass. And it wasn't, he didn't dump it off. He went for it. And it was just so nice to see those progressions and see that touch and see him settle down. Um, And you hope that they can carry it over. You know, it wasn't like Petrus was put in an optimal spot with a lot of cushion to make these kind of throws. He started the game off, you know, being down 0-14, or the entire offense did. And it's because Illinois came out firing. And, you know, Brandon Peters made some pretty good throws in that first half. And he had some, he showed off some, a little bit of athleticism, just, you know, on quarterback keepers and scrambles and, and it, they were gashing Iowa's defense for a little bit, even though, and I will say this and I'll make this caveat. Yeah. Iowa gave up 14 points and it, and it came pretty fast in this game, but the way that it was coming, Iowa was in position as far as the back end goes almost on every single one of those completed passes. And that was kind of a theme throughout this game. I think let's just transition right into the defense and talk about it. I thought the defense played really, really well. Um, you know, the, the points against Illinois, I, I get it. You know, 21 points, you know, they, they gave up 14 right off the bat. And it, they looked at, on paper, statistically, it looked like they were struggling. But they were getting their hands on a lot of passes. The defensive line was getting penetration. Um, running backs or linebackers weren't, you know, getting out of the run fits too bad or too frequently. And <laughs> unfortunately, Riley Moss was the guy that gave up the, like a couple of big plays, but even on the big plays he gave up, it felt like he was almost in a position to pick off the ball or at least just bat it down. 
And, you know, if you're a coach and you're looking at that, maybe there's some adjustments you can make just with the way you attack a route stem or maybe your footwork on, you know, adjusting to cuts or things like that and just subtle nuance kind of things. But when you see that many times of contested catches, your corner's doing something right. And, you know, I, I don't think there's a lot of criticism you can levy against guys who are almost in the perfect position, just a hair off five times. He got, yeah, he was unlucky, you know, in, in those situations, a ball that's kind of a 50, 50 ball, you know, good offense in that case is always going to beat good defense. Cause if you just come down with it, it doesn't matter what the coverage is. Same thing happened to, to Seth Benson, perfect coverage and tip the cap. Peters threw an absolute perfect pass. I mean, that first quarter, he was dropping dimes. There were five or six passes that were absolutely perfect. Great coverage, but he put it at the exact right spot at the right time. And his receiver or the running back or the tight end made a great play on it. But you know with him, his history says that's not going to continue. And the Iowa defense continued to be in great position. And over time, those things are going to work out. Like he's going to throw incompletions. They're going to miss some of those. And the defense, I think, after giving up those two touchdowns in the first three drives, then went and forced like four straight three and outs. And after those first couple drives, I don't know if the defense up until mop-up duty gave up 100 yards for the next nearly 30 minutes of, of game time. Yeah, they were absolutely lights out after those first couple touchdown drives, it felt like, you know, and yeah, Brandon Peters made some really great throws, but you know, like you said, they're not replicable throws and Brandon Peters, you know, I said it last week on the pod. I thought he was a guy who can make a couple splash plays just with his arm because he's not a terrible quarterback, but he's also not a guy who is going to be lighting the world on fire. And I knew that pace was definitely not going to continue and that that offense was going to be slowing down especially with Mike Epstein out, which I didn't even know about heading into that game. So that was an interesting bit of news that sort of popped up for me as I was watching it. Um, but yeah, other than that, it really did feel like the defense as a whole just really clicked. And like I said, last week we were talking about the spread betting of, I think it was 12 and a half. I said, watch out for the backdoor cover. It really didn't, that last touchdown didn't matter because they, I was still one by 14, but it was like, Illinois scored 21. Sure. I mean, we'll give it to him, I guess. It's it's holiday season. Yeah, I was really uh, hoping that score didn't happen because last week I talked, I could see Iowa, you know, getting that 20-plus and, you know, see what <laughs> see what the local book has for a 20-plus win. And they're up 21 and then, of course, give up the, the late score. So, uh, yeah, don't take my advice on those sort of things. I, I didn't know if Iowa would cover in the first place just because, as you said, I had concerns about the way Iowa's pass game could attack uh, the Illinois defense, but they found ways to attack it once they were able to establish the run game and able to kind of work things out. And that's been a common theme for a lot, for several games now this, this season where early on the run game isn't super effective, but over time of the game, they make some halftime adjustments. And in the second half, these last three games, really ever since that Northwestern game where they just didn't run it in the second half at all, the second half run game has been so effective, wasn't very effective, and they get it going. Same thing happened against Nebraska. You know, the, this theme is, you know, if it's not working the last couple of weeks, just stay with it because they're going to get it figured out. The line is too good. The running backs are too good. They're going to find a way to make those plays down the stretch. 
and Goodson in the second half and, and Sargent are just going to be a load if you trust them and stick to it. Yeah, and I think we saw it. This is one of the most complete games from the offense, I think. Um, just because, you know, not only because Petrus is working in this game and his throws were hitting and receivers were getting open, but we really finally saw the potential of all the different elements that the receivers individually bring to an offense. And it all, it all felt like they kind of showed off their own thing, you know, and, and you've been really hyping up Bayer the past few weeks, but it's, it's true. I mean, he, he's not only just a great run blocker now, he's also a, a threat in the pass game. And he's a guy that's getting up the seam and making incredibly tough catches. I mean, yeah, the Petras throw down the sideline to him was a ball put on the money, but it's also a catch that, you know, when you're going down like that, when you're running full speed and the defenders in front of you kind of cutting off your vision line, you know, from 20 plus yards down the field, that's still going to be a tough catch to make. And it, it was a reviewed catch, I believe. So, you know, it's, it's a one that you have to worry about the sideline. You're worried about the defender. And then you're worried about just getting the ball in your hands. Yeah. He's just really starting to come into his own, um, as that pass catcher and a guy that has the tools that has a great frame can move has demonstrated good hands. Uh, he just hasn't up until this point had a lot of opportunity to show those off or get into those situations, but it's a player that you can run down the seam. You can run on little wheel routes and let him outrun a linebacker uh, on the quarterback waggle or different things like that. He can get into space and, you know, make guys miss, try to hurdle a guy and stuff like that. So it was great to see him get his first career touchdown. Same for Sam Laporta. It was crazy to think that the uh, Iowa roster up until that game, no tight end had a touchdown catch in their career, uh, which seems crazy, but it, it was the truth up until that moment. So it was great to see those guys get on track because if Iowa can keep mixing those formations and they can use either one of them in as an end line guy or split out, you know, they had some of that where you split them out into those nasty splits and, or you get them as an H back. So the, their versatility really creates a lot of options for this offense as well. So it was great to see them get on track and really have um, their best game together. Yeah. And, you know, before we fully transfer into um, talking about Wisconsin and sort of that game coming up Saturday, which, Feels like a massive, massive game for Iowa just to cement how good this Iowa team actually is because it feels like Wisconsin is always the hump. But one of the areas I do want to highlight, and this was an area that last year for Iowa really struggled against Wisconsin um, almost throughout the entire game on defense specifically. But, you know, about three drives per game, Iowa's defensive line is going to rotate out for the, the sort of that second unit just to spell, you know, Iowa's core uh, four starters. And one of the guys that was getting a lot of praise coming into the year was, and he's sort of a veteran kind of guy is Austin Schulte. And, you know, he's had moments, but against good teams, I've haven't seen him, you know, perform up to par yet with just what is needed against a team like a Wisconsin would. And this past week he did struggle when he got in there, he was getting pushed around a bit. And, you know, he's going to be facing a lot bigger dude just personnel-wise against Wisconsin on Saturday when he does rotate in. And it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how many times, how often is Jack Heflin going to be on the field? Because this does feel like the best defensive line I was had 
our most equipped offensive our defensive line Iowa's had to compete with Wisconsin's running game in a long time. Just because Jack Heflin is so good at being a two-gapper, being a clog and a guy he can penetrate, and then obviously Davion Nixon needs you know, no analysis. And this also feels like a great linebacking core that's good enough with the run fits and athletic enough to make up for mistakes because there's going to be a lot of misdirection. Um, it just feels like this unit, this front five, this front six, this front seven, whatever ends up being, you know, it does feel like the most equipped kind of unit they've had. And I'm just curious when Austin Schulte does get on the field and that second unit does get on the field, does Iowa feel confident, you know, just unloading blitzes down the A-gap? Um, they have the dogs to do it. We've seen it with Jack Heflin – or not Jack Heflin, with Jack Campbell. And we've seen it with a guy like Barrington Wade. And we've seen it with, you know, a number of Iowa linebackers and even safeties so far this year. So that's an area that I think is – it's going to be so fun. We've been hyping it up all year with Jack Heflin. But it's just going to be that we're finally getting the matchup. You know, it's can Iowa stop – a great ground game. And even when Wisconsin is sort of having a down year per se, as far as just numbers on the board is concerned, it's still Wisconsin. They're still well coached. They still have the talent to do it. And um, that's just sort of my takeaway on it. That's a matchup that's really going to be highlighted in that I'm interested to watch because Jack Heflin just got matched up with Kendrick Green at Illinois, who's one of the premier guards in the Big Ten. And a different style. He is not quite as uh, long as some of the Wisconsin guys on the interior, but a guy who is incredibly technically sound, who is a mauler inside when he gets his hands on you. And, and Heflin definitely more than held his own. I thought he played a really nice game, was disruptive, you know, didn't, isn't going to be making a lot of tackles in those situations, but is filling up space, is eating those blocks, is letting those linebackers crash. So he is so important. I expect, you know, when he comes out, we'll probably see Noah Shannon fill a lot of those roles, a little bit bigger body than Schulte. So I think they could move him around and play both sides, both behind Nixon and Heflin. But it's one of the few times for Iowa, that front four, you just feel really confident in their ability to stop the run. You know, from Van Valkenburg all the way across to Golston, those guys have been so good and consistent stopping the run this year. And, you know, a lot of the, the access that the linebackers have had is because of that. And they are going to be a lot of, you know, they're going to see a lot of traffic in front of them this week. As you mentioned, there's going to be misdirection. There's going to be guys pulling, you know, if you feel like you're cut free, you know, you better watch somebody's coming from your side. So that's going to be really interesting. So do that does Wisconsin try to trap or try to run a bunch of things at Nixon and try to get him upfield. You know, you talked about if you just cut him loose, what could he do? Well, this is a week that he's just going to have to be really disciplined. And I expect him to be, he's been great at that all season. And then the Iowa linebackers are going to have to fill. Dane Belton is going to have to fill. Uh, Kerner is going to have to fill. And they've got the guys to do that. Um, the only spot where and you've mentioned it before, do they try to attack on the perimeter and make Hankins, make plays in the open field. It's kind of been the one spot where maybe Iowa hasn't been as successful, but this iteration of Wisconsin does not have the perimeter side to side speed that they've had the last few years. There's no Jonathan Taylor, you know, uh, there's just some of those guys who they've run jet sweeps with. 
aren't there. You know, Cruikshank is now at Rutgers. So some of those guys that have made some of those plays, and we just found out that Davis isn't going to be playing at receiver for him. So they are a little more limited on the perimeter than they've been in the past. And while they have a nice ground game, they're still running the ball fairly effectively. It's not the Wisconsin that we've saw where it's, they're going to get 200 plus yards on the ground every week. Yeah. And I'll, I'm going to admit fully right to all the listeners out there. This is definitely the most unprepared I've been for a podcast from the perspective of just knowing how Wisconsin has done this year, because I didn't really have the time to go back and, you know, review how they've been playing and sort of what's going wrong. I've seen it live. Um, and I've seen that, you know, they're putting up six against Indiana and, and they're struggling against Northwestern and, you know, Graham Mertz went from God against Illinois in week one to sort of this, you know, human kind of uh, not so um, stat padding um, looking quarterback based on the box scores. So that is definitely going to be the guy who's the more knowledgeable person on this Wisconsin team and how they're doing. So I guess my question to you, um, just for the listeners sake and for my sake is, you know, what is going wrong with Wisconsin? Because this just doesn't feel like a normal Wisconsin team, especially after week one when they put a beat down on Illinois and it felt like they were just going to, you know, trot right into a Big Ten championship game again. The number one thing that stands out is they just don't have that superstar at running back. I mean, they have right now their leading carrier is Jalen Berger, who is a highly recruited true freshman, um, was a top 100 player in the country, had offers from all over. And he's a really nice player, but he's not Jonathan Taylor. He's not what Melvin Gordon was his last year or two. So one of the major things is they just don't have that superstar at running back. And there's been years where Iowa has kind of bottled up the Wisconsin run game and then big play. You know, you, you hold them, you hold them, you hold them. It's three yards, two yards. And then next thing you know, it's, it's 18, it's 25, it's 40 or in Melvin Gordon's case, I think it was like nothing, 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 60 or 70 yard touchdown. So they don't have that superstar there. The other thing I mentioned earlier is they're just not nearly as talented on the outside as they've been in years past. Um, obviously, their, their leading receiver right now is Jake Ferguson, who's a really talented tight end uh, in their four games. He has 23 catches, four touchdowns, uh, 235 yards. So by far their leading uh, receiver. But after that, you look, their next leading receiver is a, a receiver with 10 catches, but only 64 yards. And then it's Groshek, who's kind of that running back fullback hybrid with 10. And then they've got a couple receivers with seven or eight catches in four games, but only one touchdown. So their entire receiving core has two touchdowns on the year through four games. And one of those Danny Davis isn't playing this week. So, so their passing game that has, you know, six touchdown, eight touchdown passes, half of those are to the tight end. And, you know, two of them are to a fullback. So six of their eight touchdowns come from a tight end and a fullback. So they're, it's just not the same perimeter team that they've had. And they, they aren't as effective with some of those jet sweeps. The offensive line is still really good. I mean, they have an absolute stud at left tackle. They're terrific. They're, you know, typical Wisconsin on the inside. But they don't, aren't breaking off those 60, 70-yard plays 
that has been a staple of their offense under Paul Christ for the last several years. Yeah, and you mentioned Groshek. He's a guy that they just really love because he can do a lot of things. And the way he killed Iowa last year was on a few third downs. He literally just acted like he was in pass pro. Um, the second the linebackers got set or dropped into their zones, he would just creep out and sneak out, and it would be a first down every single time because he's a tough guy to, to tackle, just given his body. You know, he's kind of like a, a sort of a compact, stubby-looking guy who moves with some pretty good explosion, and he can catch the ball. So they have a lot of different elements. Also with Jake Ferguson, like you mentioned, you know, that's a guy that's definitely an NFL-type talent just because of how fluid he is. And he's also a really good blocker. So it, it's interesting to see the pieces that they have. And Graham Mertz in week one, you know, this is a guy that um, Wisconsin fans were really excited about last year and actually thought should beat out um, – I'm blanking on the name. Remind me, Thad, last year. Oh, my gosh. I, you said it, and now all of a sudden I'm, I'm drawing a blank on it as well. <laughs> and you uh, played well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. The quarterback I, I, we can't be named <laughs> who got hurt before week one and Graham Mertz ended up starting. Anyway, people thought that Graham Mertz should have been the starting quarterback last year when he was a true freshman. And when you saw him week one against Illinois, you're just like, dang, did they, Wisconsin really like keep this guy on the back burner for, you know, a decent quarterback, but not a great quarterback. Like what are they doing? This guy feels like, you know, the next second coming. And, um, man, it's been kind of a drop down earth where, you know, I, you, I watched the Northwestern game. Like he misses a lot of throws that he probably should make. And it, he does look like a freshman QB. You said it before the podcast, you know, he, he looks like he does look like a freshman QB at times just from a live perspective, but man, there's a lot of arm talent there. And, you know, just like we were talking about Peters coming in the last week against Illinois, it feels like Graham Mertz is a guy that could turn it on at any second and could really create a lot of problems if Iowa, you know, gets out of sorts on the back end, which I don't think is sort of an implausible kind of thing. Yeah, Mertz was a really highly recruited player, played in the Army All-American game and looked really good, looked like one of the best quarterbacks in that game that has some of the top players in the country. But he's just been inconsistent. You know, he came out that first game, maybe through one, incompl one incompletion, maybe two, five touchdowns. But since then, he's struggled. And that Northwestern defense, similarly to what they did to Petrus and Iowa, completely shut down their pass game, turned him over three times on interceptions, kept him from running the ball. He's a nice, big athlete, but he wasn't able to, you know, scramble and pick anything up. And their pass game just has looked out of sorts. Now, is that a case of, you know, they missed some time, obviously, with COVID? Um, some of their coaching staff was out. Has just all, all of that led to them being out of sorts? Or is it a aspect of just the offense just isn't where it should be at this point? But, it, but you did mention, and you are right, Mertz is a guy with unbelievable arm talent. And I, Jack Cohn, who was the Jack projected starter. Um, <laughs> way, I mean, Mertz is, from an arm talent standpoint, way beyond that. But that's not all it takes to be a quarterback in this conference and to be a great one. And you're going against a Phil Parker defense, and you know he's going to be dialing some things up and trying to confuse him with different zone blitz looks or maybe linebacker pressure to get him off of his spot and to keep him from finding that rhythm. And the number one thing is Iowa's going to have to find a way to take away Ferguson because that's who he's going to look to when he's in trouble. 
sort of like Petrus, you know, when Iowa kind of needs something, who is he going to look to? Well, a lot of times it was Sam Laporta or in the past, Nico Regani, those guys on the inside that can try to get open. So they have to find a way to slow down Ferguson. And somebody like Nick Neiman is a perfect situation for that. Has played a ton of, ton of football, is experienced. Um, so I think Iowa has some matchups they can go to, whether it's him or, you know, maybe you slide Jack Campbell with his athletic ability. Um, we haven't watched him in coverage a ton, but Iowa has some options to try to slow him down and, and get Mertz off of his, his timing and off of his system. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when you look back at last year's game and you look at how Iowa's defense reacted to Wisconsin offense and sort of vice versa, you know, the first half, Iowa did something that I thought was really interesting where they were really playing the pass. They were clouding on both sides with their safety looks. And they were basically almost leaving one linebacker in the box against, you know, obviously five blockers on the offensive line. Plus when they have a fullback or a tight end in line and it really bit them in the butt because they weren't fitting their runs. Well, they were getting shoved out of running lanes on, on the up front. Um, you know, it wasn't a good game for Cedric Lattimore. It wasn't a good game for Brady reef was a really bad game for Damone Colbert. And it was a bad game for Dylan Doyle. So I know that Iowa's linebackers have been great. And we've been talking about how they fit in the run so well this year. But the way that Wisconsin just tries to run the ball with so much misdirection and not only to mention a different running scheme that, you know, most teams in college football don't run unless you're playing like an Army or Navy or one of these throwback offenses where you have a gap man scheme and offensive lines are, you know, pulling guys across the offensive line and running behind them and opening up gaps. It, it's, a, it's a different kind of way to approach it as if you're a defender. And in the second half, after Iowa was just getting gashed, one of the changes they made it were, was, you know, Michael Lujamudia, they basically said, listen, dude, you know, I, we want to give you safety up over top because Wisconsin's got some pretty good players at receiver. But we need him to almost come up in the alley and cheat and almost be like the second level to the second level. And so they left Michael Lujamudia on islands. And what happened? Michael Lujamudia had the worst game of his career. Um, wasn't even close. He got beat on a lot of double moves. He got beat on a touchdown. You know, on, uh, it was actually the touchdown that he got beat on was a, a fake jet sweep that ended up, um, they actually gave, actually not fake jet sweep, but it was a, a jet sweep that they actually gave off that was set up by fake jet sweeps. And he just got caught looking in the backfield, had no idea where the ball was. What I'm trying to say is this is going to be a completely new look for a relatively inexperienced defense um, in Iowa. I mean, this is Riley Moss's, when you think about it, his first real season of getting legitimate playing time. And the real veterans on this Iowa team are a guy like Matt Hankins and Jack Kerner and maybe Davion Nixon and Chauncey Golston. That's probably it. And when you look at last year, who of those guys played well? I didn't think Jack Kerner played particularly well. Davion Nixon didn't get a lot of snaps in that game. And Chauncey Golston got a – it was the worst game of Chauncey Golston's career as well. He got pancaked probably five times in last year's game. And this is not going to be easier. This Wisconsin offensive line is relatively the same um, outside of their center, um, Tyler Biotis, who, who is in the NFL now. But this is going to be a different beast and, you know, this is going to be a, a real test for Iowa's inexperience just to see if 
how they can adapt on the fly to this game because it's not I don't think it's going to start out pretty you mentioned uh they had to go to Dylan Doyle because Christian Welch was out and it's a game looking back you say man if if Welch plays is a, a different outcome because you mentioned all the times that Groscheck just would slip out and get open and they missed Welch's instincts and his athleticism so now Jack Campbell did get get in a little bit that game and and got his feet wet and experienced that but he and Seth Benson are going to have a really important role in this game to get through the wash you know and while Campbell athletically is a guy that should be big enough strong enough to meet some of that Benson's the guy I think is the wild card because this year he has shown fantastic instincts and the ability to knife through and get through that. He's not as big, um, but he's shown excellent instincts to get through those creases and meet the running backs and be able to get them down. So that's going to be something else that we're going to watch is our Benson, our Campbell, you know, if Barrington Wade is in there last year, Iowa started four, four. So they started with four linebackers on the field that game. Do they go to that? Are those guys able to get through the wash? Are they able to make plays or, you know, are Kerner and Merriweather tasked with making a bunch of tackles on the back end? So if their tackles are up, there's some trouble, but I do think we've said it, that front four is equipped to handle this as well as possible. I mean, you're not, you're not going to shut down Wisconsin's run game. That's just not going to happen. But if you can limit them from just constantly churning out positive plays, you give yourself a chance. Yeah, and you just mentioned it. That defensive line, it can't be just left up to the linebackers to constantly make the tackle every single time. There has to be some kind of penetration. There has to be, you know, forcing those manufactured running lanes in Wisconsin's offense to sort of get bounced outside or at least, you know, just try to have the running back, you know, stop in his steps and be like, okay, I can't go to that gap. That They're slanting or they filled that running lane really well. And so now they have to improvise. And like you said, they don't have a Jonathan Taylor this year. They don't have a Melvin Gordon who after the structure of the play breaks down is going to do, you know, crazy spectacular things like break 10 tackles. And then all of a sudden chunk out a 40 yard gain. And the, again, Jack Heflin is such a massive addition. And even Davion Nixon, who, like I said, didn't really play a whole lot last year. Um, they actually kind of went away from him at times because I think last year they were concerned that he would almost be a little bit too aggressive in his play style to combat a team like Wisconsin, where if you're pinning your ears back against Wisconsin, you're doing something wrong. Um, you have to make the pass beat. Yeah. I don't care how good Graham Mertz, it, it, you know, might be, you, you have to make him win if your eye was defense and just the way that Wisconsin attacks you with so much misdirection and so many different personnel looks, and it's all con condensed with, you know, maybe even two tight ends on line or two tight ends on the same side and a fullback. I was going to get hit with everything that they haven't seen, um, and this is going to be a real barometer test. I've always thought about this when we Iowa plays Wisconsin. You know, you don't have to beat Wisconsin to be a, a good Iowa team, but if you're an Iowa team of the level or the caliber of being you know, the Big Ten championship level or Rose Bowl caliber Iowa team, you have to beat Wisconsin. And this is always sort of like the Super Bowl of the Big Ten before, you know, postseason play comes up. 
I, I, as you were talking, I just went to look it up. Yeah, last year in this game, uh, Davion Nixon only played 22 snaps, you know, out of 74. So he was just not on the field very much. And as you mentioned, those two linebackers in the middle, Dylan Doyle and Shimon Colbert, really struggled. Re- really the only guys that played very well that day were A.J. Epinesa and Matt Hankins had a nice game. Um, he, I thought he played really well in that game. But outside of those two, really everybody else on defense really struggled at different times. And, you know, there were missed tackles. There were poor angles. There were guys just getting eaten up on blocks. So what's the difference this year? I I just think that front four is better equipped to handle it. And, you know, Wisconsin just doesn't have the weapons on outside. There's no Cephas isn't out there. You know, Davis isn't out there. So you eliminate some of that worry about some of those deep plays because a guy like Cephas was a major weapon for that team. And somebody who I think was one of the better, the better receivers in the big 10 West division. So all of a sudden now, if you limit their weapons on the outside and you don't have somebody like Jonathan Taylor, it's just, it's less pressure on the defense of that. Well, we could get hit for a big play at any moment. Yeah. And you mentioned the two guys that did have a good game last year. And it was, it really did feel like AJ Epinesa and Matt Hankins. And that was really it for Iowa's defense. And honestly, you're, you're right. But I would even go as far as to say, AJ Epinesa in last year's game was sort of taken out of it. He had the one strip sack that gave Iowa a field goal, even though they, they recovered the ball at the 10 yard line of Wisconsin or the 20 yard line of Wisconsin. And they only ended up getting a field goal out of it. But outside of that one splash play, they really just kind of took Epinesa out of the game because they ran it away from him every single snap or they would double him with a tight end and and a, and a tackle where he can't really do anything. And he's basically setting up the linebackers to make plays. And that's a huge thing. And I'm going to be honest, this is a game where Davion Nixon, if he, cause we haven't really seen his full body work as a player, even though we know he's very great and we know how he projects as far as an NFL prospect goes, but as far as just an overall um, fully equipped player, it's going to be interesting to see how they attack him in this game because they're not going to be running the Jack Heflin side if they can help it. If they can try to take Jack Heflin out of the game, that's the, that's the guy they're focusing on. They, they think that's the guy that creates the most problems. Not a guy like Davion Nixon, who is 305, compared to a guy like Heflin, who's 330 and plays the run much better than Davion Nixon just based on taking on double teams and just taking on you know lead fullback blocks or – um, being able to keep your eyes up once you're penetrating as a run, um, as a two gapper. This could be a game where Davion Nixon, you know, people look back on it and are like, well, maybe that's why he's getting fallen a little bit in the draft because he struggled defending the run or something like that. And this could also be a game where you look at that, you know, the strong side linebacker spot and you're saying, damn, they, they really just didn't fit the run that well. Or this was kind of an inexperienced looking game from the linebacking core. Those are some takeaways that I wouldn't be surprised if we're making, you know, on next week's podcast, um, just based on how this game goes. When, when I watch Wisconsin, I, I'm amazed that they have two losses. Um, and I know they, one of the major things was turnovers in both of those games, um, being in chances to score, and whether it was fumbles or, or interceptions, Mercer's throwing – he threw three against Indi- or three against Northwestern. He threw one against Indiana. 
Um, so obviously turnovers, as Iowa knows, and their two losses heavily dependent on those turnovers. But it's a Wisconsin team that is incredibly talented at certain spots along the line. Um, they've got a guy with a lot of arm talent at quarterback. And we haven't talked about their defense and uh, typical Wisconsin defense. And as an Iowa fan, that worries me because Iowa has not shown the ability to consistently move the ball or the ability to score against Wisconsin for several years now. So that defense is still a major impact and they still have a lot of talent. I mean, when I look at from the off Iowa's offense versus Wisconsin's defense, it reminds me a little bit of Northwestern in that they have two excellent linebackers in Sanborn and Chennel. And they're good on the back end too, uh, at safety and at corner. So it's a situation where are they able to just put those guys on an island and then let those linebackers roam free and make plays all over the place? Yeah, I, you know, it's kind of funny. And um, you almost can throw it out when you're talking about Iowa, Wisconsin, but it almost feels like the offense for Iowa versus Wisconsin's defense is almost irrelevant. You kind of feel like, Iowa's offense is going to put up 17 or 20 and they have to win with 17 or 20, but no, you, you make a great point in the sense of where are these big plays going to be coming from? Because when I was competing with Wisconsin in games where Wisconsin actually put up some points, um, it always came on a big play last year. It was a deep skinny post to Tyron Tracy late in the game that put them back into that game. And Throughout the game, it was big plays by a guy like A.J. Epinesa forcing turnovers. And in the past, it was, you know, Josh Jackson getting two pick sixes. And that was the only source of offense. So who is going to be making the plays this year? And when you look at the guys who are the, I guess, quote-unquote, playmakers for Iowa, both on offense and defense, who can force turnover-worthy plays, I, I'm almost drawing a, a blank outside of maybe Tyler Goodson, I, I struggle to find who is that guy because coming into the gear, we would have probably said, you know, Tyron Tracy's the guy that get the ball in his hands. He can make some plays, but he's kind of been silent. It almost feels like he's been relegated to a small role in the offense. Then I would think of a guy like Amir, but with Petrus not being able to hit some of these deep balls with consistency outside the Illinois game, you know, you have reservations about how, much of a playmaking, you know, contributions he can make in a game like this. And then you look at a guy like Davion Nixon on the defensive side of the ball as a playmaker, but he's not forcing turnover worthy plays. He's just making plays in between then and getting stops, which obviously is a major thing. But if I was offense is going to be completely stagnant in this game, like they have been in so many matchups in the past 10 matchups against Wisconsin, you know, where, where are these points and where's this production coming from? I'm not sure. On on offense, is it, a, is it a game where now that Tyler Goodson is so much more of a part of the offense, is it his, you know, he's had several games, but is it his like shining moment up to this point in his career? Last year, he only carried the ball five times against them. He was not a prominent part of the game in their offense at that point. Sam Laporta only had one reception. He was still just getting worked into the team at that point. So you look at how Iowa distributed their, their runs last year. Torrin Young had nine carries. Tyler Goodson had five carries. Makai Sargent had four carries. So obviously they weren't running the ball a lot. They just didn't run a lot of plays in total. 
but you have to figure that Tyler Goodson is going to be a bigger role of that and a bigger part of that. So he's a guy that can he break a play? Um, but last year, outside of that big pass to Tyron Tracy, as you said, it was just a lot of underneath stuff. Regaining had six catches, but for 32 yards. You know, Iowa had 208 yards passing. Well, 75 of it was on one play. So where does that the rest of the offense come? I think, um, you know, is it is it where Brandon Smith or Amir have their big game? I don't know. I, I think it's just going to have to be more of um, the collective effort. But T- Tyler Goodson's the guy I'm kind of leaning toward right now that he's got a tough matchup, obviously, in terms of Wisconsin is really good at stopping the run. But maybe do you split him out and do you get him going in the pass game a little bit? Because I think he's one of those guys that can create some mismatches on the outside. And defensively, you know, the, probably not going to be, you know, like an Epinesa coming off for a strip sack. But does somebody like Riley Moss, who has seemed to find the ball a lot of times, or Jack Kerner make a play, or does Brandon Mer- or does uh, Merriweather come up and make a big hit and force a fumble? I don't know, but the game's going to turn on something. Or is it what we mentioned? I mentioned pre-pod. Wisconsin, their punt game is not been very good their net on punts is in the upper 30s so do we have another tory taylor sidewinder and it sounds like weather could be an issue you know does he kick another sidewinder that gets fumbled or does he kick one in wisconsin just doesn't want to catch them so they're going to let them bounce and then i was able to back them up i think something like that could be a change you know could really swing this game yeah it always feels like there's something you point to in iowa wisconsin where it's like that's the play, you know, that that's what turned the entire momentum. Um, last year, it felt like Iowa had more of those plays, if I'm being completely honest. Outside of some big Jonathan Taylor runs to ice the game, you know, the big plays that you really think of from that game that were the impactful, almost leading to a direct score or were a direct score were the Tyron Tracy touchdown, the A.J. Epinesa strip sack that was only a field goal. But I think that's the big thing. You know, these, these can't be field goal ending drives. When you get down in the red zone, you got to find a way to put it in the end zone. You got to be aggressive and go for it on fourth downs. You know, whether it's fourth and two, fourth and three, yeah, those field goals are going to be important against a team like Wisconsin, but touchdowns and the way that this offensive line for Iowa does perform, I mean, we talked about it from the perspective of Wisconsin's offense versus Iowa's inexperienced defense. But Iowa has a lot of weapons and a lot of talent on offense. And they can do the same kind of misdirection. You looked at what plays were successful last year for Iowa outside of the Tyron Tracy touchdown. And, you know, you mentioned uh, Tyler Goodson only had like five carries. One of them was a 30-yard run, or it was a big run. I don't know if it was 30 yards. But it was off a counter run where the entire offensive line slanted. And they basically said, you know, Tyler, just go out and make the slot corner miss. And he did it with such ease. And the big plays for Iowa's ground game, I remember another pin and pull with uh, Torn Young down the sideline where they just get the offensive line out in space, just say, you know, hit a target and Torn Young's going to fall forward. The big plays for Iowa in that game were a few 10-yard runs and then that 30-yard run on, on a misdirection play. So throw in some misdirection. You know, take some bombs off play action like that Tyrone Tracy play. Do some stuff that has shown the work and just be aggressive in this game because you're going to need it. And it always feels like this is the game where 
it really shows that w- whether Iowa can get over the hump or whether they can't. Is we're going to see too. What did Brian Ferentz learn from that loss to Northwestern? Because as I mentioned earlier, it's a it's a defense with similar ability at linebacker, and that was a game that Iowa did not commit to the run. But the other thing they didn't do is that there wasn't a lot of misdirection. There weren't jet sweeps. There wasn't a lot of wildcat. And maybe they just didn't have it in that early in the year, enough of it. But, you know, did they go away with it saying, well, we just didn't think it would work because their linebackers are so quick and they are good at those positions. But I think you have to at least try them to keep them honest. You can't let their front seven just fire at gaps along Iowa's offensive line because that's what they've been so good at. They disrupt that connection between each lineman. So that connection where the guard and the center, where they want to work that tandem and then work up, and they just split that seam and don't let those guys ever get to the second level. So Iowa's going to have to maybe stretch the game horizontally a little bit to force the Wisconsin defense to keep their eyes in multiple locations. So maybe the Wildcats are part of it. Maybe it's some you know, jet motion, or maybe it's just, as you mentioned, the, the counter plays, the misdirection plays, um, Maybe it's trying to get Amir or Tyrone Tracy on a shallow cross and just get them past the linebackers and make a play downfield. But they're going to have to have some creativity and not just say, well, we're going to line up and we're going to do what we do and we're going to beat you. Because it just there's not a history of that working, especially against Wisconsin. And as good as Petrus looked last week, this is a totally different animal going up against this Wisconsin defense. Yeah, and honestly, I'm I'm so excited for this game. I not only is it Wisconsin, not only is this a good Iowa team, but I can't wait for the rewatch because you know this is a, this is a really telling moment for a lot of things with Iowa. Not only with it being you know the regular season capper, but how far has Brian Ferentz come? How does how how does he use all of this talent to attack a defense that has killed him historically since he's become the the offensive coordinator at Iowa? I mean look at that first game that he was offensive coordinator for back during Nate Stanley's uh, freshman or not freshman, but first year starting quarterback 2017 in Madison. They had like 40 yards of offense and the only points they put up the entire game were two pick sixes from Josh Jackson and they lost by 24. So um, it's going to be so interesting to watch this back and it's going to be so fun just to live up in the, in this rivalry because it's definitely a rivalry. And I, I guess let's, let's head into prediction time. And this is a game that opened the week at minus three for Iowa and has since dropped all the way to plus one for Iowa. So that's a lot of point swing. And what they either says is odds makers got it way wrong off the bat and they're overcorrecting or a lot of money was going towards Wisconsin to win this game and cover. Um, but basically it's a pick em, So, or actually it really is a pick em, So, who do you who are you liking in this uh, this pick'em game? Well, similar thing last week. I thought it was strange when I know Indiana had a had a backup quarterback in, but Wisconsin came in as like a 14, 14 and a half point favorite in that game, and all of a sudden Indiana gets the win. So is there you think okay is there a big shift this week? But then money continues to just pour in on Wisconsin, and as I said when I watch them, that's a team that looks in a lot of ways, like a traditional Wisconsin team. Great on defense, um, makes a f- offensive line, is very effective, but they're just missing something this year. 
and I'm not sure what it is. And I've been back and forth. If you would have asked me at probably any point of this season, who wins this game? I say Wisconsin. And I've kind of still leaned that way a little bit. Um, I just think historically what they've done to Iowa's offense um, and just shut them down has been too much. But uh, about yesterday, I finally just was like, you know what? I think Iowa has more pieces. They have more pieces on the perimeter and more weapons on offense. And it's the first time I've been able to say that against for an Iowa-Wisconsin game in a long time. And defensively, Phil Parker just continues to press the right buttons and is just a magician as a defensive coordinator. So I, I'm going, going with Iowa this week, and I'm going to go out on a limb. I think Iowa gets to like 25. You know, I think I could see Iowa getting to 25 or 26 and just, you know, a combination of, of run game and, and a few passes, whether it's getting those tight ends involved or getting a receiver on a big play. I just think something's different about the way this Iowa team is playing right now and averaging over 30 points a game in the Big Ten. And I, I'm just going to go that route. I'm, I'm not sure if I feel that confident with it, but I'm going Iowa 26 Wisconsin 22 so odd scoring I know but but why not and I just I just feel like Iowa finds a way this time yeah man it's so weird because coming into the year you're right I I would have said this is a game that Iowa was gonna lose and throughout even everything that's been going on with Iowa playing well and with Wisconsin kind of looking you know as low as they've been in, in a few years at least um, it just feels like it's still for me from my, I don't know, just my sense or my what's in the back of my mind from past matchups, but it just feels like Wisconsin would win again. But, and also let me just throw this out because this is, this is tripping me out every time I think about it. If Iowa does win, Wisconsin is two and three. <laughs> they have a losing record on a year where everything looked amazing coming in, especially after week one. I mean, that's insane. Um, but, yeah, you're right. This Iowa team feels equipped to handle what uh, Wisconsin does extremely well. And not only just handle it, but effectively attack it in a way that they haven't been able to effectively attack it in a very, very long time. And I'm also on the record on this podcast saying that this Iowa team is as good as the 2015-2016 Iowa team. I'm going to even go on a further limb and say that they're better. They're better, especially if Petrus can play somewhat competent. I don't think he needs to be this world beater. And I think last year was, or not, not last year, last week was almost some world beater kind of territory for him, just in the in the the confines of his offense. But I don't think he needs to be that guy from last week for this Iowa team to reach its full potential in in a game by game situation. I just don't think he has to. I I just want to see him make throws he's supposed to make and then make some throws on top of that that, you know, are just some tougher throws that you can do when you have that kind of arm strength. I don't think he needs to play hero ball. He definitely doesn't with the weapons they have on offense, the way they pass protect on offensive line, and the way that they can run it. I, Yeah, I think Iowa wins this game. And I'm going to say that, yeah, like you said, I think they score in the 20s in this one. And, and it's going to be kind of a, a, a weird feel to an Iowa-Wisconsin game. Yeah, I just it, Wisconsin's offense this year reminds me of so many Iowa offenses in the past, where it's like, yeah, uh, quarterback's okay, running back is solid, 
they got got a really nice tight end receivers are so so it just it feels so much like several Iowa teams over the last few years so when I look at that I just think well now is Iowa the team in the in position Iowa has the better running back Iowa has the better receivers and is it is Iowa's turn to just have those one or two extra players that make the difference in this game and if Iowa can rattle off six straight wins after those two losses, I mean, what a great turnaround. Yeah, and doesn't it feel like there's a do factor with Iowa in this matchup? If it's a rivalry, you know, if Iowa loses this week, is it really a rivalry? I mean, there's tension, but you kind of got to win games to make it like a competent rivalry. And it, it, it's kind of like almost steelers bengals ish where, you know, the Steelers are going to kill them every single game, especially when they're this low. And they're going to call it a rivalry. But when a team's just dominating a series and it feels like, you know, it's a W that every single team, you know, Wisconsin fan can put on their schedule at the uh, start of the year. And every Iowa fan's looking at like, that's probably an L. Nobody looks at that when they, I was playing Iowa state and Iowa state fans don't look at that Iowa game or like, you know, that's, that's probably an L they look at it. Like we can win that game. I want Iowa to get to a point where it's like they look at that Wisconsin game and it's on the schedule and they just say, you know, we can, let's, let's mark that down as a win. That's a winnable game. I, I want to get to that point with Iowa and with everything, with how much talent this team has, this does feel like a point where it can turn on its head. This is a win that moves the needle and you don't get a lot of those opportunities during the season. There might be two games that can do that for you during an entire season. But this is a game that moves the needle for Iowa football. If you can win this game, if you can beat Wisconsin, hold all of the rivalry trophies at once, you know, fill those trophy cases and really say, look, we are the premier team of the Big Ten West. And Wisconsin has held that belt for a long time. And they've been fantastic. But this is Iowa's chance to say this is our territory now and go get this win. And I'm just so excited about this game. It's probably the most excited I've been about any game this year because you know it is going to be football. Like these teams are going to smash each other. There's going to be some big, you know, turning points. So I'm just really excited um, for the season, the regular season finale, I guess. Yeah, and, you know, there's already some guys that are, I guess, fourth or fifth year seniors for Iowa that have already said that this will be their last home game unless they do play another game inside Kinnick you know, in that cross-divisional game. And so this is going to be senior day on top of a massive rivalry, on top of the regular season ending. I mean, this is a, this is a microcosm of everything um, that's just fun about watching Iowa football and why we're almost, you know, fans and why we are so invested in this team specifically. And I'm, I'm so excited for Saturday. I, I Man, I'm so excited. <laughs> I mean, what, what December football, Iowa-Wisconsin possible snow, like – it does it it doesn't get better than that absolutely and uh i think that's a, a good place to wrap it up you know we, we have thad and i are on the same page of i would get another dub this week and that would make it what six or seven in a row six in a row six in a row and uh you know two losses to start the year kind of you know held them back but if they can get a, a six you know straight win that says a lot about the Iowa team and i think that it kind of puts a bow on a fun regular season for Iowa football with everything going on. I think that, you know, is nice. And also I think we should say before we go out, you know, 
Iowa basketball is fun too. So <laughs> we're having a lot of fun with Iowa sports right now. Um, you know, obviously they beat North Carolina, Iowa State tomorrow. I guess you guys will be hearing this on Friday. So Iowa State later today. And um, then Gonzaga's coming up. And, and shout out to the Iowa women's basketball team. Just, yeah. just had an exciting victory over Iowa State and, you know, beat Drake earlier. So they're, you know, it's a good time to be an Iowa uh, sports fan right now. Caitlin Clark is legit. I, gosh, what a fun, I, I, I've tuned in to every single game that I possibly can. Uh, with Iowa basketball, women's and men's, it's just, yeah, it's a great time to be an Iowa sports fan. And, you know, once wrestling pops back up and is on the mainstream kind of, you know, TV setup, it's, it's just, it's what a time. <laughs> but with that said, y'all, um, we're going to be heading out, continue to check out the podcast and, you know, we'll keep sharing them out every single week. You guys have been great. Um, the view numbers are definitely, we can see them, you know, it, it's pretty steady with your guys as, you know, keep tuning in. So we really appreciate that. We, we appreciate the love that you guys show on this. And, you know, we'll try to return the favor by continuing it. And if you have, you know, any questions or comments or just ways that we can improve the podcast, we're open to it. I mean, we're not geniuses over here. I, I'm not a production wizard. I have no idea really what I'm doing. We just log on to Zoom every single week and kind of wing it. Um, but, you know, yeah, throw some stuff our way. We would love to hear it. And, you know, we will see you in next week's podcast. Take it easy.